techniques of neutralization. Siamese has been trying to frontboard the HBOS 13 set for well over an hour and it's getting frosty no doubt. The autumn evening chill settling into the bones like arthritis seizing up an old codger in his lonely one-man bedsit. Tiny and Rosebud sit on their boards watching Siamese get more and more frustrated with the trick. The two boys are restless, tapping out bullshit troll tweets in an absent, semi-articulate way and then staring blankly at their flashing screens when they hook an overzealous, seething response to their bait. They're bored of social media, ready to move on to a new spot where they can skate something that ain't gonna involve all these temper tantrums or else breaking open their own heads in the process. But then allowances gotta be made. Both boys are keenly aware that Siamese is filming his part for nonplussed and so shouldn't be disturbed. Tongs gotta stay bitten because the gruesome twosome know that even at this level of their game there's deadlines to be met, potential sponsors to be impressed. And what, thanks to the casual boozing and the skunk-saturated hydroponics and that girl of his, Monica, with all her wanton teenage neediness and adolescent lust, Siamese is falling further and further behind in his mama's grand schemes for a son with a Tony Hawk-like mega-amp future. Plus it's not like Siamese with his undiagnosed dyslexia and his bubbling recurrent acne, and his lack of all common sense in regards to the complexities of the functioning adult world, has a safety net to fall back into, to be coddled by when shit, that is reality, comes crashing down around him. No sir, it's this or nothing, death or glory, and this fucking trick ain't gonna land itself now, is it? Rosebud holds out his darkly tanned hand, as Siamese limp jogs back up the deadly thirteen, spitting silent curses at the floor, his board trailing mosher grip from one hand, and his right shin blitzed from a second ago slam against the handrail's sharpened edge. Palm up, Rosebud can feel the first spitting warning signs as they signal cool and wet on the indented labyrinthine pattern of his outstretched thumb. Time to piss it down, man, he calls over to Siamese who is stood once again at the top of the handrail and staring intently at the thin diagonal line of metal, as if it holds an answer to a question he's still in the process of trying to formulate. Fuck dude, you trying to jinx me or something? Siamese replies, not taking his eyes from the railing. Easy for you to go sprouting out doom now, innit? They all know that Rosebud's part is in the back, that his ender, shot nearly a month ago now, features a switch flip down a twelve set, no lie. And that's not to mention Tiny's blistering three-minute showcasing of his prodigious transition skills. Yeah, bud, quiet down. He's almost got it now. I'm feeling it in my manos, says Mark, middle-aged and balding and trying desperately to be what he considers urban, more educated than he'll dare to admit and prone to dubious reminiscence about his own formative years within the 90s Yorkshire skateboard scene. Mark is stooped down in place at the corner of the stairs, just shy of where the rail ends. He is pointing his Sony VX1000 up towards the midpoint of the railing where Siamese's board is due to hit, slide, and then disappear out of shot into victory fist bumps and jumping cathartic embraces. That's the plan anyway. A slow zoom into the abstract pattern of the concrete slabs will follow the successful landing of the trick as is the current arty scared scene fashion a la William Strobeck. In truth though, 
All Mike wants is the trick over and done with so he can go home to the Chinese leftovers festering in his bachelor's fridge, to the waiting wank bank stored 150 gigabytes worth on his MacBook Pro. And he's already had to purchase an extra hard drive space for all his skate editing needs. Ostensibly secret motive is something the boys actually know all about, having discovered the ridiculously colossal and minutely catalogued, all the way through from anal to zipper sex, digital archive of filth over a year previously when attempting to locate some proof of Mark's oft-repeated claims of once being a sponsored vert pro. It's something they laugh about, both the porn and the unsubstantiated claim of professional sponsorship when the old dude's not around. Rosebud turns back to Tiny and pulls a disgusted face. He knows exactly what Mark's modus operandi entails. Lies and bleating sycophancy. A parasite is what he feels this older man is, embodying the kind of latent creepiness he always imagined Larry Clark exhibited beneath his artistic intent when filming the adolescent anti-heroes of his cult classic, Kids. It's true though, innit? Look at those beefy clouds over there, man. Rosebud states whispers to Tiny, who's pulled his ice-white supreme hoodie up tight and snuggled over his features, so that it reveals nothing but blossoming cherubic lips, the faint beginnings of a sprouting bum-fluff tash lined over the top like a haphazardly drawn caterpillar. And it is true. The sky over Manningham Lane is the same grey as the concrete that Mark's planning his artistic zoom into, a solid slab of cloud obliterating any trace of the late afternoon sun. Best just keep quiet or you'll put him off and we'll be here for another fucking hour, Tiny says, ignoring the fortified looking cumulus grey motherfuckers gradually zoning in towards them. The sound of wheels slapping into cloud-coloured concrete caused both boys to jerk their heads up simultaneously. Embedded in both of them is that faint, vicarious stir of anxiety, of joy, of unity, as Siamese pushes his board towards the rail, his face shot loose in a mask of total focus. At this moment, nothing else exists. It's zen, a, a brief and pure sense of absorbed comradeship, with all the infighting and covert jealousy and minor scuffles forgotten in this momentary heart-leap of what can only be truly, accurately, described as bliss. At the midpoint of the rail, where Mark's camera is aimed, Siamese's board stops sudden. No longer a part of the board and facing away from the stairs' steep decline, Siamese's body cuts through the quiet air and slams into the concrete, and in a few feet from where Tiny and Rosebud are sitting. The boys are watching all this happen with slow motion alarm, tilting their heads upright like twin dogs registering an impossible frequency. Rosebud has opened his eyes wide, his almond enshrined pupils shrinking neatly into black biro points, allowing him to register the inflow of colourless afternoon light as it describes the impact in full grotesque HD. Mark is the first one to register the cracking noise. It's a resonance of breakage, a crack shot reverberation signalling something very specific, a noise that none of the group have ever heard before. The sound is caused by Siamese's neck whiplashing the slowed curvature of his skull directly into the concrete floor, so that the two entities meet with all the force of a head-on collision. 
For a moment, everything is still. And then the blood comes pumping out from the back of Siamese's head in sudden cartoonish spurts. And his body is jerking out at all unholy angles, like a ragdoll being fucked by some warped and demonic poltergeist. Mark places his Sony VX1000 down on the bottom step and makes a move to approach the rattling body. Instead of running over, he approaches the body timidly, as if he really does think Siamese might be possessed. Fuck me, Rosebud says slowly, his eyes still wide, his pupils readjusting to the light as the image of his spasming friend filters into his brain, the neurons of which are currently attempting to decipher the macabre dance being performed a few feet from him. Perhaps Tiny's eyes are open wide too, in the same moment of attempting to process this newfound, newly experienced data, to catalogue it as an event of eventual trauma that should forever be remembered but not necessarily engaged with. Although it's hard to be sure what expression exactly Tiny is pulling, given that his ice-white supreme hoodie is still wrapped tight around his face, caging his expression and hiding it from view. Fuck me, Rosebud repeats, beginning to rise now from his board. It seems like such an unbelievable way to die, like a vague substandard anecdote that no fucker's gonna really believe because it's so inherently messed up, so laughable in its implausibility. Especially when the doc in the BRI's emergency ward a tired-looking man with muscular arms and hair sticking out from wherever his crumpled shirt ends in pasty flesh, uses the term freak skateboarding accident. He even writes this phrase down on some clipboard report he's got gripped in his hair-stewed hands, a report Rosebud manages to get a scattered glimpse of. The description is written in small, neat child's handwriting in the comments section at the very bottom of the sheet. The doctors even underlined the phrase twice. As you'd expect, Siamese's mother is in hysterics. Wearing a nonplussed hoodie and a too small Nike SB5 panel that's wedged on top of her large head with fez-like precariousness, she is squeezing the grieving Monica's small, tight body too tightly, and it's unclear whether Monica's own cries of pain are a verbal manifestation of losing her dead sweet BF or else are as a result of being crushed by the oversized, but let's just be honest and say clinically obese, Miss Boulevard's grief-induced inhuman strength. There's a lot of bestial wailing going on right now in the emergency room, A middle-aged Mark stands off to one side, near the reception desk where a faintly attractive nurse is attempting to focus an empathetic smile on each person in the room in turn, one by one, and then back again. Mark himself seems a little sad, but also somewhat embarrassed at the spectacle of open maternal grief currently on display. His video camera dangles impotently from his neck like a badly designed necklace. Silently, to himself, he's thinking about the possibility of filming the whole emergency ward scene, how this could push nonplussed past the realms of local skater-owned store demography and into the big leagues into the realms of urban folklore and fresher magazine. This almost snuff footage, he thinks, could really open the doors for the nonplussed brand, 
make them a household name with all the skate rats around the UK. Perhaps even be enough to warrant an international rep. Now that would be something worth aiming for. Mark finally decides against documenting the comings and goings of the emergency room. This reluctance is partly due to the fact that he's always been a bit physically scared of Miss Boulevard and a fanatic embracing of her dead son's hobby. It's also because he knows he has already caught the footage of Siamese actual death live on camera and is already attempting, as he stands there in the corner of the room making occasional unsuccessful puppy eyes at the almost cute nurse, to figure out the legalities behind including this footage in the final production of the upcoming skate vid. Tiny's left the room to go out for a smoke or whatever, and Rosebud is sat down across the way from the banshee mother and the semi-asphyxiated girlfriend. He's staring down at his scuffed-up Nike SBs, which are placed not on the floor but on his board, riding it back and forth over the viridescent, underwater-looking tiling of the hospital floor, a pendulum counting out each new moment of heartbreaking sadness. The Spitfire wheels make a kind of ticking noise as they run over the grooves intersecting each new tile, and Rosebud's pristine white earbuds dangle out from his collar, forming his own approximation of a badly designed necklace. He can still hear Wu-Tang sounding out from the headphones. 36 chambers because he's old school like that. The beat distorted but still noticeably rhythmic, so that he can almost, almost but not quite, work out what specific tune is now playing as soundtrack to the wailing, continuous grief. Nodding his head slightly to the unspecified beat, Rosebud glances across the room at Siamese's mother as she squeezes the life out of what could have once possibly have been her own sweet and sexy daughter-in-law. Monica's mascara streamlined face is pointing directly at Rosebud as the life gets pythoned out of her. She looks a bit like Jean Simmons in this moment, Rosebud thinks, which is unfair because she's generally hella hot in any other given situation. As he's staring over at the two women, Monica flashes Rosebud a helpless smile. Rosebud replies to the smile with a lame thumbs up before returning his gaze to the constantly moving skateboard beneath his feet, feeling the ticking of the tiles as they click through the eight plies to the worn and smooth soles of his SBs. As he stares at the grip tape of his board, he's thinking that a double thumbs up just might be the least coolest thing you could ever do to a girl, especially one whose fella has just annihilated himself in a freak skateboarding accident. Rosebud hooks up with Monica less than three months after the funeral. It takes her a bit of persuading. A bit of like, yo, Siamese would have wanted you to be happy, babe. And you gotta live in, go on living your life, girl, bullshit, to get her even slightly warmed up on the idea. And of course there's some residual guilt left over for Rosebud too, considering the whole betrayal aspect involved in this premature hookup. This feeling located somewhere deep down in his stomach, round about the same area where his whiteys seem to generate from, keep Rosebud up some nights when his mum, his stepdad, his two mentalist half-sisters and the Chihuahua Terrier hybrid Maxi are all zonked out from sleeping pills, booze, Ritalin and sheer manic exertion respectively in their siggy wallpapered semi on the Swain House estate. But then, 
his PlayStation 4 goes somewhere to assuage in these stomach-lingering feelings, humming online with the prepubescent ga gamers who don't know or don't care about Rosebud's current emotional state, who just want to get their next fucking headshot in, who just want to win those XP points and scream at him, Rosebud, in their multilingual and multi-accented adolescent cursing, their screeching thin voice attacking him as a collective through his tinny white headphones, telling him, him he better not be lagging this next round, that he better be on it, mush, hombre, mate, dickweed, homo, fuckwit, or else they're gonna ditch him from the team, no doubt about it. Plus it's not like Siamese and Monica were all that steady anyway. And Rosebud's got an acne-free complexion and a switch flip down a 12-set no-lie. And there's even talk at nonplussed of him getting hooked up as a floor rider with DC. So really, it's not too long after his unsubtle moves gain headway that him and Monica become a full-fledged couple publicly shoving their hands down the front and back of each other's tight-ass jeans and licking at one another's MDMA gyrating faces under the booming subterranean lights of various gatecrest student house parties, demonstrating their mutual lust to anyone who orbits in too close to the gross, black-holed circumference of their endlessly repeating foreplay, like all young couples in love. The reaction from the rest of the crew is mixed. Some of Rosebud's closest boys see it as a supreme act of treachery, telling him straight up that he's shitting directly on Siamese's memory with these dirty shenanigans, and that he needs to straight up remember, bros before hoes, motherfucker. And Monica, jeez Louise, she's a straight up hussy no doubt, to be doing what she doing with Siamese not even turning in the cold in the ground just yet. There's additional mention of him turning in his grave and all those kind of cliches too, making their regenerated rounds on Facebook and Twitter and whatnot. And Rosebud even gets a real life bus nose and half blue moon black eye off of Dizzy, fucking steroided Yorkshire's poor man's answer to Brandon Beeble for his no good pussy stealing ways. To Rosebud, it's amazing how this amnesiac Hagiographic bullshit comes flooding over friend, foe and acquaintance alike in these plodding, hallucinatory episodes of the aftermath of personal tragedy. It's as if Siamese were some kind of holy angel St. Francis of Assisi motherfucker and yeah, all these sanctimonious haters have conveniently forgotten all about those two prosies Siamese disappeared with for, like, three consecutive nights on the Copenhagen skate trip just three months or whatever after his supposedly exclusive relationship with Monica was unofficially declared at her 17th birthday party, when they'd gotten caught down in Crazy Charles's bur dad's basement on top and over the spin cycle set washing machine bare going at it, ground zero. But Tiny's still good with Rosebud. Yeah, Tiny sticks with him and though, in his own subdued and laconic way, He's not exactly approving of these two lust-demented lovebirds shacking up in such tragic circumstances. He nevertheless will have Rosebud's back, no matter what, till the day's buried, man. And when they hug it out after one particularly gruesome mano a mano, heart-to-dripping heart session during a late-night, lambrini fueled mini-ramp sesh, it's like a rail hug, 
and not one of those cheap ass pretend embraces you do when you're fist bumping and then someone pulls you in like you're the best of friends or whatever but really secretly you're thinking you could have landed that 12 set way smoother than that motherfucker no doubt about it when Tiny first introduces Rosebud to Brown to horse to smack to the almighty heroine that great fake panacea for the pain hollowing out a room in your heart, taking up shop in there and going fucking wholesale on your conscience. Monica is already seven months preggers, and Rosebud has no time for what he calls these playground antics no more. He sold his full setup on eBay to one Wizkid 2002 from Heptonstall for a 60 quid that flashes straight from his account and into Monica's demanding, talon-nailed fingers before even those fake fluttering eyelashes even register their first interrogative blink. Before this cyber sale, Rosebud had already been avoiding the skate park anyhow, on account of Dizzy and his numerous Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, public and DM threats suggesting, in not too subtle a tone, that Rosebud might just get himself castrated if he ever deigned to show his face at the park again. On top of all this, the much-hyped DC hookup never happened. It had fizzled into an obscure nowhere, up until the point when Mark finally confessed to Rosebud, while staring blankly at the tiny, damp-suffused mini-ramp in Nonplus basement, that the UK branch of the DC team were no longer interested in sending him flow, that a switch flipped down 12 in this day and age was no biggie, really, and that, morbid as it seemed, the DC crew were now more curious about acquiring the rights to the footage of Siamese's final moments as a way to, like, promote health and safety in skateboarding whilst advertising their new range of ergonomic but cool-looking headgear. Headgear designed specifically to prevent this unspeakable tragedy from ever occurring again in the adventurous microcosm of the skateboarding world. Tiny's own board has been taxed up at Hyde Park three weeks previous, after he'd called one of the rollerblading Ibsen twins a monosyllabic pederast, something any Hyde local knows is a surefire way to getting your send messed up, even if they don't necessarily know what a pederast is. And messed up is exactly what Tiny got, ensuring that all manner of wrath got fire and brimstoned down late that same eve onto the skate park by the entire Ibsen clan. The missing setup is the least of Tiny's worries. Now that he's got himself an impressive five-inch scar cut permanently into the back of his big shaven dome, the thin metal rivets separating hair from brain tissue, a scar caused by one of the Ibsen uncles, a true gorilla of a subnormal, bringing down the blunt side of a machete directly onto the retreating Tiny's exposed cranium. So now Tiny's got this current of electric neuron zapping epilepsy for life as a result of his head injury, coming on in vicious jigging spurts whenever he's suffering from stress or tiredness or over-drinking or under-hydrating or over-exerting, which is pretty much like every other day in Tiny's world. And so when Rosebud calls round to see if Tiny's got any spare weed, He's either maybe generously donating or else generously flogging because, you know, Rosebud needs something to take off the edge off of living with his fucking alky insomniac mother. His alkia, like proper, fully fledged with a medical note to prove it, stepdad, 
is two ADHD and possibly full manic or bipolar half-sisters. The family's horny as fuck and as yet uncastrated and terror of the female canine neighbourhood, Maxi the Chihuahua, and the increasingly volatile Monica, who at seven months up the duff is no longer moving one muscle of her flab-filling, still teen body. Not now. Not now she's got a full legit reason, physically evidenced and totally non-negotiable, non-refundable, to secure enforced servitude of her deteriorating, mentally exhausted man, good old Rosebud, 21 years old, doll cute connoisseur, and once upon a time aspiring professional skateboarder, old Rosebud. Just some nice chill bud, Rosebud says. His own maxim, incidentally taken from his own 14-year-old self-slinging days. Just to blunten things up a bit, man. Grind down those edges. Because I swear, it's like total hell over there, man. Full-on Hades. He points out of Tiny's grimy bedsit window in the vague direction of home. The estate is dark. Purple lit by some astronomical glitch in the Matrix with most of the streetlights either smashed or else never working to begin with. Tiny's squinting eyes follow the direction of his friend's finger, out under the grand vista of Swain House, vomiting its way down into the deepening urban valley of the centre, and then rising once back up again to deliver the faint meandering vein of Manningham Lane, the site of the 2001 Bradford riots lit up yellow and jaundiced at the other side of the city. Tiny's supreme hoodie, no longer ice-white in colour now, just more a dirty, slushy grey, is once more obscuring his eyes and his bum-fluffed tash has since become a dark and impressively groomed goatee, what with time carrying on, its, on in its heedless way like no one's trying to slow that fucker down. Relax the tide just a little bit and give us all some breathing space, please. It seems to be the only thing about Tiny that has been groomed, his goatee, washed and razor geometric sharp as it is, making him look somewhere near halfway respectable, a tiny perfect canvas of hope stretched neat and severe against a backdrop of total dereliction. When Tiny turns back to Rosebud after surveying the view of the city, their city, his eyes still aren't visible. I ain't got none of that yellow stuff on me, man. No Thai, no hash, no Moroccan squidgy, no nothing, he says. Not even that skunk until Sandhurst comes round tomorrow or the next. He's holding his dirty hands out in a gesture of submission, his PlayStation 4 controller going blue and helpless on his lap. Rosebud's face must betray all kinds of emotion right then, because Tiny adds, very softly, I mean, maybe I do got something, you know, someone to help you out. But I don't want to be forcing it on you or nothing, man. I'm not no fucking pusher. His voice trails off into the dim room. The air silent with questions. With one main question. And Rosebud's of course all buoyed up with tiny seeming reluctance to be splitting with whatever he's got over there edged down the side of the grotty sofa to where Tiny's hand is now crabbing over protectively. Yeah, Rosebud's primed up and ready for whatever, cause it truly is hell over there, man. No lie, 
and he ups and he leans and stretches straight out the tinfoil and pipe that Tiny's shaking hands are suddenly no longer attempting to hide but are now openly proffering out like the wafer skin of Christ our Lord, Jesus, Amen. Rosebud lets out a full heroic yelp, sharp in the desperate silence, yelling out then, let's get some, a faint but no doubt ironic stab toward Andy Roy's own turbulent smack-centric past right there, causing Tiny to issue a brief and false enthusiastic chuckle at the skatified reference, as Rosebud holds up the tinfoil and the pipe in gladiatorial glory. As Rosebud's smoking that shit up, listening to the murmured vague instructions of Tiny as he does. But come on, it's hardly a procedure that requires surgical precision in order to get the job done. Tiny turns off the PlayStation and kneels down in front of his 32-inch flat screen. It looks like he's praying to Mecca or something in this moment. And then he punches at the analog power button of his VHS player. He's still fucking got one. And not having to look too far for an old Batista Osiris shoebox that's got skate vids scribbled all over it in bold black sharpie. He inserts Mouse, the 1996 chocolate vid, into the greedy maw of the video player. After a grinding whir and no hum or digital beeps, the video begins. The video that stirred up their blood and their imagination so much when they were still kids. More kids than they are now. Still little skate rat terrors rolling around CNA car park until they were kicked out by security or virulent Bradfordian junkies of the city streets when they were still in their concrete playground, innocent and alive and full of unregistered hope. And now the video's colours are popping up on the screen and suddenly Rosebud's eyes are flickering on and off like some kind of localised lightning flash. And he's gliding, no, he's floating, back into the furthest reaches of his side of the sofa as Tiny's dirty hands move over like shimmering deep-sea fish, dislocated black eels, to take away the proud paraphernalia and score himself another much-deserved hit. It's strange, but Rosebud can no longer tell whether his eyes are open or not. And then there on the screen is Rick Howard, pro skater with clean-cut smile and clean face and clean hair, dressed up as a giant bunny rabbit as he skates along the sweat-drenched streets of San Francisco to the cool, relaxed sounds of the intro music. Free is the magic number, Bob Durer. The music causes Rosebud to try out a wild laugh and sing along, encouraging Tiny to do the same, to sing, sing along with him. Rosebud tries, he really does, to yell out the misremembered lyrics, but he finds that all he emits is a faint burble of drool from the left-hand corner of his dried-out mouth. And but Tiny's too engrossed now anyway in his own procedure, his ashen, gaunt cheeks made even more concave by the deep inhalation suck on the saliva-stained pipe, his deathly pale face now almost fully visible as he leans back his head and holds in the thick, smog-like smoke of the pipe. His small black eyes, the eyes of a rat or a pigeon or some other vermin no one else gives a shit about, zoning in on the video that nostalgically recalls so many scenes from their collective childhood, so many scenes that constituted a certain type of irrevocable happiness, way back when.